0: Welcome to Unfighting Fighting in Thailand, the best news and analysis covering the economics and infrastructure of Muay Thai. I'm Matt Lucas, journalist, commentator, and ex-Muay Thai fighter. Make stronger fighters, make stronger people. Today's topic, the Northeast region of Isan, the heart of Muay Thai in Thailand. But first, some news. This is episode number two, I will be advertising the episodes and pushing them on the internet, specifically to coaches, trainers, and high-level athletes in the sport. After this episode, I will be tackling the very important but misunderstood concept of sponsorship. We'll be breaking down the concept into four parts, hitting the athlete, gym, apparel company, and promotions. I'll be launching the Patreon for the show. Members will be given exclusive access to all the content. I plan on making a Publicly available, half or less of the content I produce, so signing up to the Patreon will be a huge opportunity for listeners. With this launch, it'd be great to get some feedback from listeners and supporters. Like the show or love the show, help build the support and community by leaving a review on iTunes and or Spotify. Have a comment or concern? Hit me up at via email at a.matt.lucas at gmail.com. You can also follow my Instagram where I profile people in the Muay Thai community at BKK. After the main section of the show, we'll go on with Pick a Fight, a segment in which the current bout is discussed. Last week's included the 70 Kilo One Championship 8-Man Tournament. All predictions were wrong for that one, so make sure to tune in to hear what happened at that high-level event. So shout out to my beat maker, Jeff Dohelio. Jeff is a talented photographer and content producer who recently launched GoFundMe to document the IFMA World Championships in July. Make sure to check out and support his project. Also thanks to one of my main supporters, Patrick Rivera. Then finally, the YDL, the Youth Development League, will be hosting a litany of events June 8th in Fairfield in the Bay Area, June 8th in Peroa, Illinois, June 20th to the 23rd are the YDL Nationals at the TBA World Expo in Des Moines, Iowa, August 10th in San Antonio, Texas, and August 16th to the 18th at the WKAs in Willow. In today's episode, we'll be talking about fighting in the biggest region of Thailand, Isan. Frances Watana, journalist and gym owner, will be our guest for today. Her writing has appeared in Vice Magazine, Fightland, Rough Asia, and other popular sites. She speaks fluent Isan. As a fighter, Frances is a veteran of over 40 fights with the majority of her bouts in Thailand. She started at 14 years old in Canada at Pride Gym with Glenn Kalansko, and four years ago, she opened her gym Warwatana in Putisong, Isan. Uh, the town borders Kora and Buriram. The gym is located in her husband Boom's hometown. Boom is a former Muay Thai fighter as well, and the two met while training at Sorkoa Pla La Ansukamwit 93 ages ago. Now the gym hosts 20 plus kids with 12 fighters, including an Isan champion. The gym serves as both a community center and sports facility. Thank you for coming on the show today. You're my first guest. I hope you feel special.
1: I do feel special. Thank you for having me, Matt.
0: Let's jump right into it. Uh, You started War Watanap four plus years ago. You've been managing about uh, 20 kids, 12 regular fighters. Can you just walk me through an average fight night for you?
1: So, there's two things that go down in ESAN generally. Uh, we've got the matchups, or we have promoters that book fights ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And whether we have to go to matchups or whether we're booked ahead of time makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. If we go to matchups, we got to get up early, we got to drive the kids to the location of the fight, and we pretty much just stand there, and people will shout at each other. And they'll match the kids up based on eyesight and experience, and we'll hope for the best at the matchups. If we do get booked at a matchup, the purse is usually really small and it's just kind of a known and an accepted thing up here. After mm-hmm. that, we feed the kids, we take them home, they nap, they get up, and then it's fight night. So if we were booked ahead, we don't have to go to the matchups in the morning. So I like to get the kids up have them move around a little bit, do chores, get them outside, we feed them. And then I always make sure they nap, and I always take their phones away to do that. We're quite strict about that here. Mm -hmm. After nap time, they get up. Again, I like them to move around a little bit, get some fresh air. We will pile into the truck. When I say pile, I mean pile, quite a few people. And we will drive to the fights, and they can be anywhere from – 30 minutes away to 3 hours away.
0: You'll go to the matchups and it will be about 2 to 3 hours away just to get the matchup. Correct.
1: That those days are long days for us. We will if the matchups are more than 2 hours away, we generally won't go because you do have to think, you have to factor in the cost of gas. So usually matchups the most we'll drive is about an hour and a half. And if you think about that and an in a single day, that's six hours of driving because an hour and a half to the matchups, an hour and a half home, and then an hour and a half to the fights and an hour and a half back. So with the matchups, we have to be aware, again, how much opportunity is there for us because economics do play a big factor in running a gym.
0: Let's talk about that briefly. So with a matchup type fight, um, how much gas are you paying if you're going the full distance of an hour and a half?
1: An hour and a half, six hours of driving, it's probably about a thousand baht in gas money, just gas. And of course you got to feed the kids Mm -hmm. Uh, at a lot of the temple fights. They have free food, which is great because right after the matchups, the kids can eat for free at the temple, Mm -hmm. which is awesome. And we think about those things, you know, those are things that we think about. Oh, there's, you know, this is going to be at a merit making ceremony. We'll be able to feed the kids. You definitely have to be aware of these things in ESAN, especially when you run a gym long term, Mm -hmm. because otherwise you can just kind of, you know, overdo it, you know, be overalist. You have to be aware of the economics.
0: Moving on from there and back to the promoters, how often are promoters booking your fights and how does that tend to come about?
1: So we are very lucky and we've developed really good relationships with a lot of different promoters in the area. So we fight mainly uh, Surin, Bulilam, Kualat, Mahasalakam, and Ep. We also fight in Galastin and Chayapum, occasionally Sisaget. But those provinces are the main provinces we go to, and we have relationships with a few promoters in each of the provinces. I've worked very hard to create those relationships with the promoters, And I always make sure that we show up on time. Our fighters are well-trained, well-rested, ready to go, and that we have side bets. So the promoters like us. Some gyms aren't as active as we are, and some gyms do struggle booking fights. But for the most part, uh, we don't have an issue with that. So there's quite a few promoters we work with. But some of the more high-level kids like Bat, there's only a select number of promoters that he'll work with because he's at a high level. Mm -hmm. whereas the other kids i guess you could call them more free agents Uh they can kind of go from here to there and it's not really an issue (laughs) when the kids start to get good the bigger promoters in isan will kind of lay claim to them
0: Mm -hmm. so once you get to the matchup once you get to the fight rather what happens then
1: we we don't make it till about 9pm. Honestly, to feed the kids to pack up the truck to pick up some of the families. It's a huge process. And it all comes on to me managing all of these people, making sure the kids brought their cups, hand wraps oil, making sure that they've eaten the right food. You know, we don't eat noodles before a fight. We only have rice. We usually get there at about nine. Once we get there, we check in with the promoter. If we don't know who we're fighting, Mm -hmm. we usually ask to see the opponent. And then we kind of walk around, talk to some gamblers, get a feel of things, uh, ask about our opponents, things like that. The kids are told to just lie down and relax. And at some of these shows, they go on till two, three in the morning, unfortunately. So we just kind of chill, wait for our name to be called. There's usually no lineup that they follow. You're just called. They just announce the next three fights and then you have to get ready on the spot. So it's important that the kids are, are there with us and not running Mm -hmm. around anywhere because they just call you up uh, at will. And that's kind of how the night goes. There's lots of food and snacks there. The kids love fighting. They love competing. And, uh, And yeah, and then we make the long drive home. So we've got, you know, we get home often after 3 a.m., which is tough.
0: Overall, how long is the entire process from you leave the house to you get home? Like about six hours?
1: If you just are talking leaving the house and you're not talking about like pre-fight massage and packing everything... We leave around 6 or 7 p.m. and get home anywhere between 1 a.m. and 3 a.m. So it's a long a long process.
0: How, about how much money are the kids and the gym making?
1: So our gym, we do not deduct from the purse, uh, but most gyms will take 50%. And for us, we do we do put a little bit of money into the side bet to help us cover our costs, like gas and ice and water and things like that. But we're not a big gambling gym either. We're very blessed that we have the support of our monthly donors that helps us cover the costs of taking these kids Mm -hmm. to compete. The kids will make anywhere from three hundred to our highest earner is four thousand baht a fight. And this is pretty significant because working in a factory in Thailand, an uh, eight hour shift, working in some very, very harsh working conditions, is only going to make you 300 baht. So
0: basically, you fight one night, you're making the same wages yes, as an adult. Yes.
1: And these are like 300 baht. This is like a three round fight, it's practically an exhibition, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, mm-hmm. Once the kids start getting a bit better, it's pretty common to see them make a thousand to fifteen hundred baht on average for a fight.
0: So, how do you think of the uh, the economics of Isan really shapes Muay Thai?
1: Well, Isan is the poorest and most underdeveloped area of Thailand. People here live hand to mouth, and in a lot of ways, that's kind of how Muay Thai works. You train, you fight, you make some money you need some more money, you fight again. It's it's kind of the way it is here. Mm-hmm. There is not a lot of work available here. And obviously that is a big, big part of Muay Thai. However, people in Isan love Muay Thai. It's their hero story. Mm-hmm. You have fighters like Yod Senkai, Senchai, Boakau, who are international superstars making amazing amounts of money, and they all come from Isan. So the people here, they have dreams and they have hopes for these kids. Mm-hmm. And because of the big recent boom of Muay Thai and the success stories, it's just an area that really believes in Muay Thai. So temples will get budgets, governments will get budgets uh, to host an event. And in Isan, they want to host Muay Thai. Mm-hmm.
0: And so do you think that's why it's such a hotbed? Because there's been so many rag to riches stories and because it sort of helps elevate people?
1: I definitely think that's a huge part of it. Mm -hmm. I think that is a massive, massive factor. I also think uh, the economics of the region, Mm -hmm. the lack of work, the lack of opportunities makes a big difference as well. But there's also just a collective identity here. And the people really love the sport. You can see it when you watch them train, the kids playing, the uncles coming to the gym to help out. It's just something that that means something to the people here as well.
0: Mm-hmm. So going back a bit, I know you mentioned uh, side bets. What exactly is that? How does it work? Who puts them forward? You said the camps put them forward. Is that true for all fights? Uh, Can you just go a little more in depth about how that process works?
1: So most fights in Isan require a side bet. Now, kids that are just beginning temple fights, fights where you're not getting paid a lot, it's okay not to have a side bet. But once the kids start earning a little bit more money, it's pretty common. And although it's not strictly enforced, it is enforced enough. You know, the promoter's... Our understanding here, if you say, hey, my kid's a bit smaller, hey, my kid's a bit sick, and you don't have a side bet, nothing's going to happen. But if your gym constantly isn't producing side bets, the promoters will take notice. So what a side bet does is, one, it's a way for people to make money. People will put pool their money together. You know, families will contribute. Friends will contribute and each side will come up with a small amount of money. It's held at ringside, winner takes all. The bigger fights, the side bets are put up by gamblers. So when BAT fought recently, we had a few gamblers contribute significantly to the side bet. And on those bigger fights, the kids are given either a 10% or 20% uh, cut of the side bet. So it's a really great incentive for the kids to win as well too.
0: Uh, So give me a a basic range of how big side bets are
1: on the smaller shows. They start off at about a thousand baht per side Mm -hmm. and a good side bet, like a respectable side bet uh, could be anything from three to 8,000 baht, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that, that shows the people involved that you won a real fight. The other, the opponent came to fight, you know, there's Mm -hmm. people that say things in Isan, Oh, it's, no side bet. It wasn't a real fight. Doesn't matter if you win or lose because there was no side bet. It's a very common phrase here. So that's an, a respectable amount. But on the bigger shows, like bats competing on, it's more like ten to fifty thousand baht aside, mm-hmm. and the fighters will get between ten and twenty percent of that.
0: And so they'll make uh, maybe a thousand to five thousand baht off of the side bet uh, itself. Yes. And so does the side bet sort of ensure that people show up to the fight suit? Do you have a lot of times that where the opponent doesn't show up or gets sick um, and then just doesn't show?
1: I wouldn't say it has to do with the opponent showing up or not. Some fights require a deposit for a side bet, again, if we're talking about high-level fights in Ysan. But mm-hmm. for fights that... Uh, charge money, like that you have to buy a ticket to get into, they uh, signal to the gamblers that this is a real fight and that both sides will be bringing their all. And with the gamblers being the main ticket buyers, it Mm -hmm. keeps them satisfied and it gives them an incentive to come and play money on the fights.
0: So how – big of a percent would you say the gamblers are in the shows out in Isan? Is it like ninety percent of the ticket buyers, a hundred sixty
1: I'd say eighty-five to ninety percent of the ticket buyers are gamblers.
0: hmm And so they're coming to gamble and for entertainment to maybe win some money or hopefully or Maybe not, hopefully, but maybe lose some money as well.
1: Yes. Some of the gamblers are so good at gambling that they can win money no matter who wins the fight because they'll play the odds at such weird Mm -hmm. angles that mathematically it works out. No matter who wins, they win.
0: Mm -hmm. And you said uh, you don't really gamble that much. Why is that?
1: Well, one of the things is... I don't want to put that type of pressure on the kids from me Mm
0: -hmm.
1: because I feel when you play money, it changes how you look at the fight. When I watch Mm -hmm. the fight as a gym owner, as a mother, as a manager, I can watch the fight a lot clearer when I don't have money involved. And there Mm -hmm. are gamblers there for a reason. You know, they want to play the side bet. I always play a little bit, like I said, gas money. I love to tip out the kids if they win. So whatever I play, I say, oh, you get this much if you win, things like that. Mm -hmm. Also, when, in addition to the side bet, you have people playing outside the ring too. Mm -hmm. I don't like to do that and neither does my corner because we need to focus on our kid. We need to watch everything in the ring. Maybe they got hit with a hard shot that hurt them. You need to watch all of the uh, subtleties that are going on in there. And if you're out in the pit trying to place a bet, you miss things. So mm-hmm. we will put a little bit on the side bet, but then we're right there in the corner cheering them on. And cheering is another aspect to Muay Thai that a lot of foreigners don't understand. Like we have uh, an old Rajadam champion come and hang out with us quite a bit. And he gave my kids this huge lecture because they weren't cheering enough. (laughs) It's uh, a way as well to, I wouldn't say it it changes the decision of the fight by any means, but when a fight is really close and you're cheering and you're cheering, it it really adds to the atmosphere.
0: Well, there's all those studies that show that even in the best way to watch a fight is without the sound because with commentary or, auditory noise you are influenced one way or the other um
1: there are certain fights on channel seven i've heard and i think at the stadiums where they will announce like people still cheer uh but they will announce that this fight is not going to be commentated Uh because even commentators will hold bias to certain fighters yeah
0: that's absolutely true at least in my commentating i you know it's not often, but I definitely will have biases at times. If I know the person well or if I like their style, I'll you know, probably commentate on them a bit more sort of look at things that they are doing right instead of wrong. Um, so moving on from there, who, um, how are most of these shows funded? You said that a lot of times the um, temples will get money or the government gets money. How, where does money come from? Who pays for everything? Just how does the business operate?
1: So these, the money from the temples or the local government there, it's budgets allotted for community events. Mm -hmm. So the temple could do a concert. The temple could do a football tournament. And same goes for the local government. So it's kind of up to the people involved whether they want to, what, what they want to mm-hmm. host. And this is just money that's already in the budget. You know, the temple people give them donations, as mm-hmm. you know, and those donations are then put back in towards the company or into the community, sorry. As for the government, it's, it's just part of their budget to, to do, host community events. The other type of fights are um, hosted by actual promoters. They charge money for tickets. They have sponsors that help them. And they will host the fights on more of a for-profit basis. Mm -hmm.
0: So do you think that the scoring is pretty consistent, whether it's a temple fight or a promoter fight that's more for-profit? Like, is there a difference between the two types of shows?
1: For the most part, no. But there are very subtle differences. Mm-hmm. Some of the better refs are a lot more consistent, and there are some refs that have been known to make some slightly controversial mm-hmm. calls. But again, for the most part in Thailand, the gamblers, in some ways, they can, they can mm-hmm. help with the refereeing, because you can't just make some outlandish call. Mm-hmm. People are putting money on the fight. And so it, it's kind of like a self-controlled ecosystem and everybody has their place mm-hmm. in it.
0: And how much are most of the staff getting paid? So how much is a ref getting paid for uh, to work a fight?
1: From what I understand, a referee will come with, one referee and three judges. Mm-hmm. So a four person team, and they'll actually rotate in and out of right. the ring. And they mm-hmm. make anywhere from 4,000 baht a show to 16 or 18,000 baht a show, depending on the level of the fighters. Obviously, higher level fighters, bigger side bets, more money being played. You're going to get a more professional, higher quality team of mm-hmm. referees. At the smaller temple shows, you get a more uh, I guess you could just say lower quality of referees or a lower standard. I don't know the <laughs> correct terminology how to explain that, but you know, you get what you pay for essentially. So,
0: if average wages are about $300 a day and a referee, a four team referee, is making 4,000 baht, that's base. Uh, each person is making about 1,000 baht a show. So, it's pretty.
1: <laughs> in mm-hmm. gas, of course. Petrol is a big expense in Thailand, very big expense. I don't think a lot of foreigners uh, that come here really understand what it costs to be shuttled mm-hmm. around. So when I did a seven-day show of Muay Thai, I paid the referees 4000 but because they had come from so far, they asked for another 500 mm-hmm. in gas. But if they were to fight, uh, if they were to referee locally, they oh. would have accepted it for 4000 so yeah, they make, if you, if you deduct gas, they're still making at least 800 mm-hmm. baht a show at least. So, and some of these referees will work, you know, 20 days mm-hmm. a month.
0: So do you think their wages impacts uh, how the fight goes at all? Like, do you feel because they're paid decently, they're able to objectively uh, referee and work?
1: I would say that in Thailand the referees are so well are, are just really phenomenal because they have so much experience in the sport. Mm-hmm. You know, if if these guys are doing up to twenty shows in a month and each show has fifteen fights, they have a lot of experience and they're also well trained. But the higher standard referees are gonna be the ones that have more pressure and have to make the big mm-hmm. calls when they're money being put on it. Um I don't know if that adequately answered your question there, but that's that's pretty much what what I've got to say
0: on that. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> I i felt like it went over it pretty well. Um so moving on from there, uh let's just talk a bit about uh fight development for the kids. I know you're a relatively new gym. Uh most of the gyms out here in Thailand have been open for a decade or more. So what is it like being a new gym and specifically developing young fighters?
1: Well, I think right now, while we are still a new gym, we've really found our place within the community. So we're doing really good. We have really good relationships with promoters. We have good relationships with other gyms. And we also have good relationships with gamblers. Muay Thai is a big community and you can't be rogue out here. You have to be part of the community and you have to find and respect your place within that community. So a lot has changed since we first opened up the gym four years ago. When we first opened up the gym, it was kind of a sink or swim thing. We would just throw the kids out there. We would put ourselves out there and we would just see how is this going to go down. But now, you know, that we've kind of passed that initial, uh, what's the word? Uh, initiation, I guess you could say. I don't know. Things are, are really, really good for us. But it's still very challenging. It's a very challenging environment. It's a very challenging ecosystem to what navigate. What do you think
0: are some of the good things that you did initially and some of the maybe mistakes or things you learned from
1: I really put mm-hmm. ourselves out there when we first opened up the gym. We would travel wherever there were fights. We would go to match-ups. We would talk to promoters. We would we just mm-hmm. really went for it at the beginning. And I don't think that I would would change anything because where we are now is because of all those mm-hmm. late and long nights early on. We have a lot of promoters that have been watching our fighters develop and seeing the consistency. And things are going really, really well for us. So I think, I think we really, we really went for it at the beginning and it paid off.
0: Mm-hmm. So you've, you have an Isan camp right now with Bat. Uh, what's his fight name again?
1: Bat is mm-hmm. Lanyamu or Lanyamo Wawatana. So he will use both, both names. Mm-hmm.
0: And how have you developed him and his career as a fighter over the last four years? He was one of the first uh fighters you had at the gym, correct?
1: Yes, Bat's been here since day one. Mm-hmm. uh you know bat is comes from a really difficult background, really difficult upbringing. and when we first took him in, he had a lot of issues, you know, a lot of undiagnosed um, issues. I guess if you would, you know, say from a Western perspective, uh, issues about abandonment. Uh, he was probably malnourished, <laughs> um, pretty skinny kid. We even had some health issues we had to overcome. One of the things we did with bad, and we do it with all the kids, is we just took it really slow. Mm-hmm. We didn't push him. We didn't train him that hard. You know, we made sure that he was fit enough to compete, and we made sure his opponents were you know, around the same level, you've got to kind of take chances here and there and test yourself. But, you know, we didn't put him into any dangerous situations. Uh, But we just, you know, we just really went slow with him. Mm -hmm. And I think it really paid off because now he's kind of reached a peak in his career. And fighters will reach many peaks and how they deal with these peaks really is a tell a tale as as to whether they're going to make it long run or not or long-term or not, whether they're, they've got it to be a champion, you know? So Bat has just kind of had this really slow and steady approach, and now things have changed for him, and they've gotten a lot more serious, and he's ready to take it to the next level. So we're really proud with how Bat's turned out and just how he's embraced the the new pressure.
0: Yeah, so in, what do you mean by peaks, and how do you think fighters deal with them, and how can you tell when a fighter is peaking and not?
1: One of the things is just watching the fighter as their body develops, as their skills develop. So there's, there's different levels of fighters in Thailand, as you know. So when you kind of reach a new level, some fighters will get to that level and they can't keep up and they'll, they'll fall back mm-hmm. below. Some fighters will hop right over and hop into the next level. Some fighters will stay there for a while, plateau, and then hopefully they'll hit another peak. And with Bat, uh, he was on an 18 fight winning streak in Isan, which is pretty insane in Thailand. There are so many fights here and so much talent that it's inevitable that a fighter is going to lose. A lot of respectable fighters have 50-50 records out here and there's nothing wrong with that. So this 18 fight winning streak was pretty incredible and Bat won an Isan title in the process. And he did his first weight cut, and he handled that fight like a true champion. He really came to perform. After that, that went through a growth spurt, and he lost five fights in a row. His body was tired. Promoters were trying to book him left, right, and center. He probably was fighting a little bit too much. So we just slowed it right back down. We took some time for him to rest. We pulled him out of the game for a little bit, and then we booked a few easier fights for him, built him back up. And now he's kind of peaked again and he's handling it really well. He's won some pretty big fights. He's recently been scouted by Pechindi and he's been invited to try out for the junior national team. So we just keep a really close eye on the kids' mental and physical state and just, you know, feel it out, I guess you could say. You can't sorry to interrupt, but one of the really important things in Muay Thai is you cannot do whatever the promoters ask of you. You really have to stand firm with matchups and with scheduling. As it stands right now, I have a promoter who is just completely upset with me that Bat won't fight on his show because technically Bat isn't booked that day, but he's booked after and he's booked before. So three fights, in two weeks at his level is too much. And I said, no. And the promoters really upset with me. And he pulled my other how kids do from you the show. play
0: that balance and out? Then. I just and said, well, that's bad. How do you that? know like, when you're leaning
1: can't fight, too heavy one you know? side to the We've already booked the, the, the fights already. You should have called ahead of time, essentially. Mm-hmm. And that's something really important and really difficult because you cannot damage your relationships with the promoter. They are super important to your gym, but you also cannot damage your fighters by overbooking them or taking fights that they don't have a chance at winning. Live and learn. Um, You just kind of go with it. I mean, the promoter on the 24th called us a month ago, the promoter on the 5th called us a month ago. This promoter called us now. You know, it's a first-come, 1st first serve basis.
0: Do you feel the promoters realize that, or is it, are they sort of, like, short-sighted sometimes?
1: They are short-sighted sometimes, but I think long-term, as long as you stand true to your game, uh, mm-hmm. it will work out. I remember reading something on Facebook uh, written by one of the Pet D scouts in Isan, and he said, a good fighter is a, man, a matter of matchmaking. He said, mm-hmm. a good gym owner that's gonna lead the team, talk straight, prepare the fighters is more important. And mm-hmm. it is really true. You know, you really have to be in your fighter's corner at all times.
0: Mm-hmm. Talking a bit more about Bat and his career, what is next for him? How much is he making now? Um, where do you foresee him going?
1: So, Bat has matches booked up until June already. Mm-hmm which is good because it's the monsoon season. So things have slowed down significantly and he's still Mm -hmm. able to book fights. He's only fighting about twice a month now, whereas some of the kids fight a bit more and that's a good amount of, of fights for him, but it's challenging because sometimes you'll book more fights in anticipation that certain fights will get canceled. Mm -hmm. And sometimes if you only book two fights and one gets canceled, it can be a bit tricky. So it's a lot of, Shuffling. You shuffle Mm -hmm. a lot. You know, yesterday Bat's opponent dropped out and they wanted Mm -hmm. him to fight today. But I just wasn't feeling it because he's heading to Bangkok to try out for the national team on Monday. So I just said, you know what? It's okay. We don't need to fight, you know, it's okay. Mm -hmm. And the promoter was giving me a little, you know, come on, come on. But it's okay. And they understand because they see You know, it's kind of that old saying, proof in the pudding. You know, they see our fighters coming to shows consistently. Uh, I'm not known for being someone difficult to deal with. I, you know, it's, it's a very, like I said, it's a self-controlled ecosystem. So that makes uh, about 4,000 baht a fight now, which is really great. And he Mm -hmm. also gets uh, tips from gamblers regularly because they believe in him and they're comfortable putting good money on him. And Mm -hmm. he will get a... uh, kind of his side bet as mm-hmm. well too. With that being said, it's it's Isan, it's not Lumpini. it's not Lajaraman. Sometimes promoters, there's rain, they have a really bad turnout, they ask if we can take a lower purse. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes, you know, they cut a bit off the top because they didn't sell enough tickets. And you know what? You just have to you have to accept it, but you still stand your stand your ground. You know, there's always room for negotiation here and you just have to kind of go with the flow. You can't be too rigid in Isan.
0: And in term, how old is he now? He's like 14?
1: That's 15.
0: And he's fighting at what weight, about? He's 40 kilos. 40 kilos. Um. So is he, do you feel he's taking that much damage? I know lighter, smaller fighters, you know, they tend not to hurt each other as much. Do you feel that's true for Bat?
1: A uh, bat is at that weight. I'd say between 40 and 45 kilos is when things start to change. Mm-hmm. And also he's at a higher level where the stakes are higher. So fighters are going to push themselves a little bit harder. As you mm-hmm. know, there's the notorious fifth round in Thailand where the fighters. <laughs> around. When there's a big side bet on the line in Isan, they're going to fight till the end and mm-hmm. they're going to come out hard. So one of bats most recent fights He was winning quite comfortably on points. And in the fifth round, the kid was offered a tip out and really came at him hard. So Bat's feeling it too. He's training a lot harder than he used to train. And, you know, his opponents are a lot better. So, yeah, he can't fight as much. But we do have another kid about the same weight that fights more. But he's not as powerful. And his opponents aren't as powerful. And we're really, like, we really monitor these kids. You know, they live with us. We monitor their diets, their sleeping, et cetera. We're really on top of these things. And so we just kind of, you know, feel things out. But for sure, when the kids reach, you know, kind of, again, between 40 and 45 kilos, it's a bit more, um, Mm -hmm. you know, more intense. With that being said, though, the kids are conditioned for this as well, too. It's, It's not so much the weight, but it's more the intensity of the fight. So mm-hmm. if at the temple show, you know, you've got guys that are 60 kilos and they fight, you know, six times in two days. And I'm, I'm not even exaggerating here during some ground during New Year's. I've seen it and mm-hmm. I've seen guys pick up 15 fights in a month and they fight for smaller side bets. The opponents read each other out. It's a lot more technical, mm-hmm. but on the bigger shows, bigger money, more is expected of you essentially.
0: So let's talk a little bit about training for the fights and prep. How do you feel prepping for fights out here and training the fighters is different from your experience back in North America? Do you feel there's something unique about fighting in Isan that's different than training in Bangkok or Phuket or some of the other regions in Thailand?
1: Well, in Easton, we do compete a lot. Uh, the weather plays a big factor. You know, during the monsoon seasons, it makes it harder to train because a lot of the gyms, they're not, you know, they don't have the adequate rain coverage. Even if they have a roof during the monsoons, the rain will blow into the gym. So there's, you know, certain issues like that. The kids are in school. Some of the kids have to help out on the farm. You know, there's. it's going to be a little bit more... Uh, relaxed out here. They compete a lot. They don't train as much. But when the kids reach a level like that, you know, there's still a lot of gyms at ISAN that are producing very high level Bangkok fighters such as Kiet Mugau, uh, Latin Mm -hmm. Muay Thai, you know, they have Bangkok fighters. So it is possible for sure. But for the most part in ISAN, yeah, things are a little bit more more relaxed.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. What do you think happens when the fighters are fighting so often and so regularly? How does that help them develop differently than, say, in the West, where you maybe, if you're an active fighter, even at an amateur level, you're fighting once a month?
1: When the kids start fighting in the lower weight classes, there's really no risk of getting hurt. <laughs> and they're very free to just go for it. You know, they can try out new techniques. There's not a lot of pressure. It's a very communal environment. Everybody wins. Everybody loses. It's not really serious. And I feel that those matches, they really help the kids develop their hand-eye coordination. So you'll notice high fighters will stand directly in front of each other and have amazing defense. Whereas Mm -hmm. I feel in the West... People are more antsy when they fight, and they're always wanting to attack because they don't have as good of defense. Now, I will say the West has improved a lot. It's really, really come forward leaps and bounds, and there's a lot of, you know, high level fighters coming out of North America and Australia and Europe. So this is just kind of like a general comment that I see. But the kids here, they're just very, very comfortable in the ring. Like, there's no nerves. Like, we'll be making jokes with them. I remember Bat was fighting, and one of his friends, who's a girl, was on stage, and she was fighting next. Mm-hmm. And Bat push-kicked the kid in the face with this beautiful teeth, and then he looked over at her and, like, winked at her. You
0: know?
1: <laughs> like, to be that comfortable in the ring is pretty amazing, you know? I yeah. don't know. And, and you also see the kids, a big difference between Thai fighters and foreigners is the Thais listen to their corners And Mm -hmm. the corners adjust the game in between the rounds in, in, you know, during the rounds as well, corners will completely change a game plan from one round to the next. They will change a game plan in the middle of the fight. And the ties always look directly to their corners. As soon as the ref breaks up a fight, the fighter looks right at you. They will be looking Mm -hmm. at us as soon as they come close to the corner, they will look at us. And, And that's a big difference I find, uh, compared to Westerners. There's a really strong relationship there with the ties
0: So I guess uh, talking a little bit about the West and Isan, uh, why do you think that more foreigners don't come out to Isan? I feel like, uh, at least in my experience, there aren't many foreigners that stay long-term in Isan that train and fight out there as well.
1: There aren't a lot of gyms that I know of that are able to accommodate for foreigners. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the main issues is other than lamina moons, there's a few gyms here and there for sure. But there's not that many that actively uh, advertise to take in foreigners. I honestly think a lot of foreigners, they just can't hack it. And sometimes I wish people would just admit that. But Mm -hmm. they kind of seem to form their own own narrative but you know the food's different here you as a a vegan you know that you pretty much live off microwave 7-eleven food when you come to visit us yeah you know the nights are long we fought on the 23rd we got back at 4 a.m we left at 10 a.m for the daytime fights in Royette this morning I was up at six training my fighters tonight we go to the gym after the gym we fight tomorrow we fight you know, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty intense lifestyle. There aren't places to travel and hang out. You know, it's not like in Bangkok where in between training sessions you can grab a coffee. There's not a lot going on out here. And, and it's a tough lifestyle to be mm-hmm. a part of.
0: Yeah, just for the public record, I don't think I could hack it out in Nissan myself.
1: Thank you, Uh, (laughs) Matt.
0: Yeah, just to put it out there, I think I would get way too bored. Even when I come out and visit for a day or two, I just get agonizingly bored. Um, I spent some time at Simanchai in Kanchanaburi, and even that was too boring for me. And Kanchanaburi is a quite hopping spot compared to uh, Putai Song, where you're from.
1: Yes, yes, for sure.
0: Um. Okay. So let's talk, finish things up with a little bit of a talk about the economics of your gym. Uh, how does it work? What are some of your costs, hidden costs, trainer costs? Um, you've mentioned gas before. How much is are you putting into gas, sort of those issues and sort of hidden costs as well?
1: Well, one of the things I think people forget about running a gym is that we have Crazy daily costs. Mm-hmm. These kids never stop eating. They never stop growing. Think of raising a child. We've mm-hmm. got 12 of them. You mm-hmm. know, they all need new school uniforms. They need new school shoes. We travel a lot. Gas is a huge expense. Clean drinking water, ice, vitamins, medicine, soap, laundry detergent. I mean, it's like housing a bunch of kids, you know? Mm-hmm. And because they're professional athletes, you're going to have other costs involved, like good running shoes, Mm -hmm. equipment, uh, making sure they're getting adequate protein, milk, yogurt, things like that. And uh, then there's the the upkeeping cost of running the gym. You know, we've got electricity there. We need brooms. We need mops. Things break. The climate is harsh here, and things don't last as long. There's a lot of just things like that. And and so essentially, though, it's it's just every day, like these costs just come at you every day. It's, mm-hmm. it's ongoing. And that's why us our monthly donors are so important to our gym. Because that's what keeps us able to be open for these kids and be around for these kids seven days a week.
0: I mean, I think the other thing is having that Um, funding from outside also allows you to do things differently with your fighters in terms of management if a gym doesn't have as much money i i feel like they're more likely to take the you know more desperate fights or push their fighter harder to make sure that those daily expenses are paid for uh do you feel that's true as well
1: yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm able to make a lot of decisions that I don't have to factor money in. You know, when mm-hmm. somebody calls and they want the fighter to fight last minute or take an unfavorable matchup but the money's really good, I don't have to make those decisions because we we don't we don't have to make we don't have to manage the fighters based on financial gain solely on financial gain. Obviously, we want our kids to get paid what they deserve. We want their purse to go up, but we're not being put in those types of situations where we need to fight for money.
0: And then you said you provide them with uh, school clothes, uh, vitamins, other items. Why are you providing them and not, say, the families?
1: Well, that's a difficult question, and mm-hmm. it's a loaded question, too. I mean, obviously, the kids that live with us, uh, we manage them as professional athletes and we like to just make sure everything is set up for them to succeed. Mm -hmm. With the families, we do often bring eggs, bring milk, bring groceries for sure. A lot of the families though are overrun with kids. So it it goes pretty fast. And that's okay. You know, we still we still do what we can. We still bring groceries. But often, unfortunately, with the poverty here, when you give people cash, it's very difficult for them to manage it. And it's very difficult to get it to go where it needs to go. So buying groceries is a great option. But what uh, works as well, too, is just us housing the fighters and being able to make sure that they get everything they need. And one of the goals, you know, with this and with that, is we've talked to his aunt she raises another four abandoned children she's in her 60s she's a laborer and her husband died many years ago and she gets it she really gets it with bat she knows that if we push him now and support him now that when he is a high earner in the sport he'll be better able to help her Mm -hmm. and he definitely hasn't forgotten about his aunt you know he was abandoned by his parents when he was three and she took him in so he's He's very, he holds her in a very high regard and wants to help her, but both Bat and his aunt are aware that we need to make the sacrifices now and, and you know, reap the rewards later.
0: Yeah, I remember, of what, maybe two years ago, Bat, with one of his big purses or some money he'd saved up, bought his aunt a laundry machine.
1: Yes, he bought her a washing machine. He was very proud about that. Um, and she doesn't know how to use it, of course. She's been washing clothes by hands her whole life. But one of the older kids she's taken in knows how to wash the use the washing machine. So now she does the laundry for her.
0: Yeah. I mean, people don't realize how sort of big of a deal. Just having an infrastructural item like that is, Yeah, um, I think it's just different economics and different understandings of the way the world is.
1: For sure. There's so many little things like, you know, just drinking rainwater and having to collect your water every day before you Mm -hmm. drink it. And when we got our monthly donors on board and we were able to pay for clean drinking water, it drastically improved the quality Mm -hmm. of our life. Like it just made things so much easier than harvesting and collecting rainwater all the time. And even still, though, that's still can be a pain in the butt sometimes too because maybe they run out of water and they don't send you any and you still have to carry these big t- uh, jugs of water in and out of the house and in and out of the ring and things like that. It's still not like turning on a tap. That is the, one of the biggest things I miss about living in the West is just being able to turn on a tap and drink water.
0: Yeah, just being out in Nissan really reminds you how privileged and lucky people not in that situation are.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. And and just little things like that, you know, because it is Isan, you know, like, one time the the guy that uh, filters the water we drink, his machine broke and a part didn't come for Mm -hmm. two weeks. You know, it's just things are very different here.
0: So it was really great to talk to Francis and pretty eye-opening especially about some of the economics of fighting out there. Kids making 300 to 4,000 baht per fight versus working in a factory where an 8 hour shift is only 300 baht. Then some of the very very crucial information about side bets. Gambling is big business in Muay Thai um, especially for stadium Muay Thai and upcountry Muay Thai. Then some of the other issues about levels of fighters in Thailand, the ability to change game plans in the middle of fights really shows the experience and sort of richness of Isan Fight Life. So now we'll go over pick a fight. Last week we talked about the one championship tournament which went completely sideways. Uh, it looked, at least, like the tournament was structured for Yatsen Klai and Petrosian to meet. Yatsen Klai got knocked out of the tournament via fantastic performance from Sani Sana. Sana looked on top of his game. Jadson Klai looked a bit flat, to be honest. Um, on the other side of the bracket, we had Joe Nadewa, who knocked out his opponent, Sasha Moises. Um, Sasha had been fighting regularly on tie fight and was a legit contender to be in that tournament. Joe Nadawat tore him apart, really showing that the Atlanta Georgia resident is game for the task. In the other upset of the evening, Georgian Petrosian lost to Pet Moricot Pet Indy in a very, very contested bout. One of the big contests about it, or arguments was was it a kickboxing fight or not? Moricot in the second round really walked into Petrosian and used his long knees to tire out and gut his opponent. The judges gave it a split decision win for Moricot. However, Chatri, the CEO of One Championship, decided to nullify the. Judge's decision and turn it into a no contest. Pet Morcott's manager boat withdrew Pet Morcott from the tournament under the idea that it was a rigged system. So what will happen next? It should be very, very interesting. Will Daniel Dawson, the Australian who was won the replacement fight, will he come in for Pet Morcott? Will Petrosian have to do another semifinal bout to really qualify for the tournament? It should be very, very interesting to see what happens. Then in our pick a fight for this week, definitely looking towards Lumpini Stadium. Right now the Super Welterweight World Championship WBC belt is on the line with Chad Collins of Revolution Jim in Phuket battling Luis Kachaba from Phuket Fight Club. So it's going to be a southern battle for this one. Luis is a well-known fighter on the local or national scene. He originally comes from Brazil. Phuket Fight Club is a very Brazilian heavy gym with a lot of really strong stadium fighters, including Naui. Uh, Jose Neto is there. There's a very, very talented woman, Helen, there as well. Lewis is also ranked number four in the uh, WBC rankings right now, so he's gonna be a very, very hard test for Chad Collins. Chad Collins is a very, very strong Australian who's been with Revolution Gym for quite a while now. He's been doing wonderful things on the international stadium, won his last two fights. In Japan, uh, Chad has also performed very well against Sanchai, at Thai fight. He, so things are looking very, very good for him. However, Chad is moving up in weight for this fight. And he doesn't have the same stadium experience, at least not lately, that Lewis has. I think it's a totally different game fighting internationally than fighting at the stadiums. However, to Chad's credit, Chad has had a very, very good run at Roger Demner. And he was fighting under Source of My Promotion for a bit. He fought Saxon. He fought another Source of My Fighter. So things could go either way with this one. That said, I'm leaning slightly more towards Lewis. um, Maybe 60-40%. Should be a great, great bout. It's coming up on June 18th at Lumpini Stadium I'm going to be sure to check it out you should too so that wraps up our second episode I just wanted to thank you all for listening so much and supporting please if you get a chance uh, make sure to give me give the show a review on itunes or spotify also you can follow me on instagram matt lucas bkk thank you so much this was on fighting in thailand with matt lucas make stronger fighters make stronger people